G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. Coming up today on The Story. I thought this person was speaking to me. Like, I thought I was the only one in this whole conference and there was a few thousand people there. And it was all about shyness, timidity and fear. And that's all I was experiencing. And I thought, wow, how do they know that I have these things that are a problem that I didn't actually know were strongholds until they actually gave them a name? The Story. G'day, I'm Jimmy Colfax. Welcome to The Story. Well, in the past, we've had guests who've shared their stories of overcoming major life-threatening challenges. But sometimes the struggles in life we face are a bit more subtle. Today, Shelley Scowan has a chat with her sister-in-law, Sarah Scowan, from New Zealand about something she had struggled with her whole life, and that is extreme shyness. Sarah will share how the Lord set her free after she attended a talk on shyness, timidity and fear. I wanted to have a chat to you because you've got quite a testimony when it comes to your shyness. From talking to you now, we would pick up pretty quickly that you're not shy. You're a very good talker. But that hasn't always been the case, has it? No, it hasn't. I've been shy since I was a child, like a very young age, and I don't know why I was shy. I was scared of my own aunties and uncles. Anyone that came to the door, I'd run away from them. Which some of that is a relatively normal childhood phase where they just don't want to say hello or whatever. A lot of kids have that kind of thing, but it's something that you never grow out of. No, that's true. Right up through to my 20s, I was shy. I had an interview at the age of 17 when I wanted to do nursing, but I was so shy at the interview that I didn't speak. My mother did all the speaking, so I didn't end up doing nursing at that time because of that. Because you would have been too shy to talk to the patients. Possibly that could yeah. have been what it was. Yeah. But God intervened uh, in those later years and you've got an amazing testimony of how you were set free from that. Take us back though to as a kid. I mean, your parents were doing everything they could to get you out of your shell. Uh, they were getting you involved in all sorts of extracurricular activities. Yes, I was going to youth programs and sports or like gymnastics and different things like that to try and get me to get out there really but I just didn't I stayed back and even when I was 16 and working at the supermarket I was scared to even talk to the customers and help them with their products. Did your mum come to the job interview for the supermarket job? No she I don't think she did. So you managed that one on your own? I seem to have done so yes (laughs) it's true. But I mean, yeah, that's an interesting job for someone who's very shy. You were right out there uh, with the customers working in the supermarket deli. Yes, yes, that's true. Did it freak you out? It did. I was scared every day in speaking and calling somebody by their first name when everyone was a Mr. or a Mrs. Mm. So I found that very difficult as well. Oh, other people that you were working with? Yes. Yeah. Yes. That would be, (laughs) wow. And so that was a fairly major thing for you to overcome? It was, definitely, definitely. 
So help us to understand, what was it that was going through your mind at the time? Were you just thinking, I'm not worthy to talk to these people or I'm going to say the wrong thing and they're going to think that I'm an idiot? Or what was the, what was going through your mind at the time? I don't know what was going through my mind, actually. I don't know if it was that. It would be more now looking back on insecurities that I would have it would be that I was not worthy but I think then I didn't have any there's nothing that I can think I guess maybe if we had have asked you at the time you might have been able to (laughs) to figure out what exactly it it was but um, or maybe fear of just saying the wrong thing you know or or not really knowing what to say uh, to people I know for me personally that was a bit of a thing I when I was you know early teen years I was really shy too I couldn't hold a conversation with anyone uh, I would just because I didn't know what to say I'd just be there standing next to them going so it's a lovely day today isn't it so that was my problem but then somehow I managed to make conversation and here we are having conversations it's every very, day. very true I suppose mine was more just being afraid I was afraid of people yeah, and I did not like to be the centre of attention. I didn't like people looking at me, mm. and so if I was speaking in a group, then I was the centre of attention, and everyone was looking at me. So yes, probably I felt like I was being judged, mm. or that I would make a mistake or make a fool of myself, and then that everyone would think that you know you're an idiot and that you're not worthy and and all the rest. Yes. And so that yes. would be that was your rationale, yeah. So you said it makes yes. sense. Yeah. And it's kind of sad that you had to go through so much of those years. I mean, obviously you had so many happy times. Don't don't get me wrong. But that was a fairly major issue for you in those first oh, however many years, 17, 20 years of your life was that shyness that was holding you back from just getting out there and uh, doing the things that you wanted to do. Yes, but I don't think I noticed it so much until 25 years after I was born. Really? My life changed and then I realised how far back, how far I was being held back mm. from showing my full potential, really. Yeah. Tell us how you were eventually set free from this shyness. I heard at church that there was a conference called Sisters, which is a Christian women's conference being held in Auckland and I thought I'd like to go to that and I believe it was God saying that that was something I needed to go to but because I was shy I had spoke to my mother about it and she said that I should talk to the people that were organising a fundraiser for it and so I did that and I helped out with the fundraiser but I was always in the background because that's where I preferred to be Mm. and I was put with one of the ladies where we were going to share a room And that was a new experience for me because I didn't really know these ladies. Some of them I only knew them to see and the other ones I knew of their names and that was about all the conversation I'd had. Hmm. So I went to this conference and thought it was just an ordinary kind of conference, something that was good but not something I would go to again. I would probably wouldn't even recommend it as I was going through this conference. Um, On the Times Out, we went to different shopping malls and I just followed the other ladies around. They would ask me where I wanted to go but I wouldn't answer them and so they would go as a group and I was like this tail at the end just following following them around like a sheep or a lamb really. Yeah. Which is really gracious of them to just 
see that and not get angry at you or anything. Like, it, I mean, looking back on it, it's kind of rude to not answer people when they ask you a question, but it's really gracious that they could see that there was something going on and that they just included you anyway and loved you anyway and, you know, included you as part of their group. Yes, when you think I was 23 or 25, somewhere around that, then yes, yeah. it was not normal behaviour for a, a young adult to no. be to be doing to follow people around. Yeah, so it's lovely that they were so inclusive of you. Yes, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. And then we had the last speaker on the last night and that was amazing. I thought this person was speaking to me. Like I thought I was the only one in this whole conference and there was a few thousand people there and it was all about shyness, timidity and fear and that's all I was experiencing and I thought, wow, how do they know that... I have these things that are a problem that I didn't actually know were strongholds until they actually gave them a name. And when they did the altar call, I went down the front and actually had asked one of the ladies that was with me, I asked if she would go with me. And that was amazing because it was the final, the grand finale really of the night. They had feathers, white feathers come flying down from the ceiling because they like to have dramatic things at the end of the conferences. And I was overwhelmed with these feathers because they just looked so beautiful. And mm. I've never been one for feathers, but this was an amazing experience. <laughs> I guess as part of that sensory experience, but you had obviously come down to the front wanting to make that commitment to God and, and wanting those strongholds to be broken. Yes. And so they took me through to another room and said, are you going that you're now a new Christian? And I said, well, I'm not actually a new Christian. I was... Um, brought up in a Christian family and I actually committed my life to Christ at the age of four. So I wasn't a new Christian at that time, but I explained to them about the strongholds that I'd had lifted. And then as a group with the other people that I'd gone to the conference with, we went walking and we went up to the Sky Tower and we were looking down on some people below us. And I felt like I was floating. I wasn't on the ground. I was floating above them. And I know I was talking a lot. And the ladies with me said that they couldn't believe what had happened because mm. before I was a quiet person that was just following around and now I was leading them and wouldn't, couldn't be kept quiet. That's amazing, the difference in you literally in that one night. It was spectacular. Yeah. I just felt this whole new felt like a whole new person and then that night when I went to bed and I was lying on the bed I saw all these black probably like feathers but black things just flying off me and they were all just rising to the sky and I just felt even lighter like everything that I'd had that was a stronghold that was holding me back was being released I'd had the padlock unlocked and I was a free person wow how amazing, because it really had been holding you back in your life as well, and you didn't probably experience the same level of joy and freedom and just light that you experience now since those strongholds have been broken. That's true. That's definitely true, because I've always thought I was a happy person, mm. but now as a happy, I'm a happy person that can share with other people. You can express and, it. And get excited about it, yes. Yeah. And it is significant because it's gone on to affect you in your career as well. But even that is a bit of a miracle. You're, you're a nurse, but even just getting into the nursing was quite a miracle in itself. A lot of people said that you couldn't do it. Yes. So when I first applied, I was young and 
my mother had spoken at that interview, so I, it was suggested then that I do a different course. So I actually stayed at high school for a for a further year and did work experience, and then I did the course that was suggested to me. So it was like a caregivers role. That was a one year course, and after that I worked in rest homes or. Missing Reti- homes, yeah. yes, or retirement villages, whatever you call them here. <laughs> and so I worked in those for three years. And then I was walking home one day with my mother from a book fair. And it was raining, which is probably insignificant, actually. But it was <laughs> raining. And it paints the picture. <laughs> and, yeah. And so I said to my mother, I said, I'm going to do nursing next year. And she's like, no, you're not going to do that. You're happy doing what you're doing. And I said, but I believe God's calling me to do nursing. So I said, I can apply. And if I get in, then that's what I'll do. And if I don't, then it's obviously not from God. And she's like, yeah, fair enough. And so I applied to do nursing and a letter came in the mail and I was so excited. I told my mother it was going to be my interview time and I opened it up and it said, said, congratulations, we have a place on our course for you. So yeah. God had made it that I didn't even need an interview. I was automatically accepted onto the nursing course. Which is significant for you because that's before all of this um, freedom from the shyness took place, isn't it? Yes, it is. So to not have to go for an interview was a pretty awesome thing for you. <laughs> exactly, because that's very, very scary interviews. I still don't actually, I'm not fond of them yet or still. <laughs> and here you are stuck behind a microphone. <laughs> Sorry about that. Exactly. It's a bit easier now, but yes. <laughs> You're listening to The Story. Today, Shelley Scowen is chatting with her sister-in-law, Sarah Scowen, from New Zealand about how, with the Lord's help, she's been able to overcome her extreme shyness. Next, we'll hear about some of the major health challenges Sarah has faced over the years. That and more when we return. The Story. If this program has highlighted something you'd like prayer for, we'd love to pray for you. Call 1-800-PRAY-FOR-ME. That's 1-800-772-936. It's a free call. Or text 0401 132 Hi, I'm Jimmy Colfax, and this is The Story. We're continuing with Shelley Scowen chatting with her sister-in-law, Sarah Scowen, from New Zealand. Before the break, we heard about how the Lord set Sarah free from her extreme shyness. Next, she shares about a major health challenge she faces, which is type 1 diabetes. Tell us, what is life actually like as someone with diabetes? How much does it affect your life? Well, I don't think it affects my life really that much, Shelley. Because it's just part of you. Because it's part of me. I was 10 and a half when I was diagnosed, so that's like a few years ago now. (laughs) And I suppose because I kind of grew up with it, it's had no effect. It's been more of an effect on the family because it's suddenly like, oh, they thought it was their fault, but Mm. it's not. So for me, it's just part of life. It's Well, it's something that I've got and there's nothing I can do to make it go away. So I don't dwell on it or get depressed about it where a lot of people do find it quite a depressing thing because Mm. it's like, it's not fair, why me? And people do think it's strange that I've never gone through that. But I suppose I haven't thought about the need to do that because being upset or getting angry about it won't make it go away. It's something that's there. Mm. And it is something that 
is annoying sometimes because it's not nice to have high glucose levels or low ones. Mm. But it's something you work through. It's just part of life. I guess there is that period of, uh, for a lot of people, there is that period of mourning of just going, okay, my body isn't right and this is going to be a major change on my lifestyle and everything. But once you get through that period of realisation, then you can just get on with your life and do some amazing things. You've got a pump as well, which has enabled you a better quality of life, hasn't it? It has, because having five plus injections a day was very difficult, especially with shift work. So with mm-hmm. a pump that's going continuously, I'm getting a lot better. I've got a lot better control. It's made a huge difference. So not so many mountains and valleys in terms of um, glucose levels throughout the day. It stays a lot more constant. Yes, yes. And as long as I know what I'm eating and I do the right things in relation to how much insulin I have because when I eat I still need to tell the pump how many carbohydrates I'm eating and then Mm. it does the calculation based on my glucose level that I've also told it how much insulin I need but if I make a mistake then I might go low or high yeah and because that's largely based on estimation too I mean I hang out with you quite regularly and you're there just kind of estimating however many carbohydrates were in the meal that we just had or in the coffee that you just had or whatever and that's just I guess your own experience from past times you get pretty good at estimating it all yes yes but initially it's a lot of hard work you have to like measure everything to the gram so you're using some a little pair of scales that you're using to measure food and then working out how it affects your body and what type of foods because different foods affect you in different ways Mm. and then they'll affect the next person in different ways as well because exactly and then you have hormones on top of that and stress or work or exercise or being unwell all those things have an impact on every other person that doesn't have diabetes it's just an extra thing to think about when you do have diabetes because you can get sick easier when you've got high glucose levels and it isn't just about the glucose levels as well there are uh, a lot of other things that it puts you at higher risk of having too there there's a lot of foot issues um, there's uh, eye issues that can go kind of hand in hand with diabetes are there other things as well Yes, you've got the risk of heart disease and strokes, all the things that you always get told that... They try and freak you out, don't they? Well, anything that relates to a blood vessel, so that's like kidneys. Every part of your body relates to, requires blood vessels. So your risk of all those things is a lot higher, but it can be delayed with better control. Yeah, right. So it really is in your best interest, not just for the short term in terms of getting through today, but for the long term as well to really try and keep your glucose levels under control. As best you can, because no matter what, you can't always have the best glucose levels because life gets in the way and things happen and you just can't always. We're not perfect. I think that's the thing I love about you too, is that uh, your diabetes doesn't get in the way as well it's just there on the side and yes you attend to it yes you've got to be doing all these things to keep yourself alive literally but it doesn't get in the way of anything that you want to do which is a great way to live yes because otherwise you'd get upset and depressed if you were just thinking about something that you've got that you don't want to have yeah and if it's there you might as well just make the best of what you've got yeah while you're here on earth learn to live with it learn to love it accept that it's a new part of you yes and move on Yes, yeah, yeah, definitely. 
And it's great that you have come to that realisation. It may be in some respects it's a good thing that you were, you know, 10 years old when you were diagnosed. Uh, maybe there's something about being a child or, you know, relatively older child uh, to then have the right outlook on life. I don't know. Yes, and I don't know either because I was. I wasn't older, diagnosed older. Yeah. I think I used to get a bit jealous of my brothers, but we didn't have a lot of sugar in the house. And it wasn't really until I was diagnosed that my mother started buying muesli bars and things. So I would be like every other child and take some of those and hide them in my room and eat them. (laughs) But that's what children do. So it wasn't that bad in relation to that. It's not good to do that kind of thing. Yes. But it it didn't make any difference. And I don't recall. You have had a couple of scares though. Uh, one time it was pretty scary where you were in intensive care, weren't you, where uh, the diabetes had gone a bit out of control? Yes, I did. I don't know even how that happened, but I just got sick. And so I went into ketoacidosis, which is the next stage, but you're having high glucose levels. And so I did spend three days, I think, in ICU mm. where they sorted it all out. I thought it was related to the dose of insulin I was on because the doctor wanted me to have less and I wanted to have more. So we ended up increasing it and then I went low. So the doctor was right, but <laughs> I was <laughs> I just thought that I knew best. Which, to be honest, a lot of times you have known best and you've actually been able to tell the doctors. Well, um, that, yes, yes. So to your credit, you have known best a lot <laughs> of the times as well. But in that particular case... Yeah, you got it wrong. But you are still here to talk to us today. And I just thought it was worth mentioning because I know there are a lot of people um, that are suffering with chronic illness and, and things that could really get you down in life, uh, type 1 diabetes being one of those. But I guess you're living and breathing testimony that it doesn't have to get you down. You can still have a wonderful life even when diagnosed with it. You can and you've got a great testimony because you can share it with other people that have got something similar or are going through something so at work, I can talk to them when they're having an inje- when they have to have an injection and they're upset about their one injection that they're having a day. And so I used to be able to say, "Well, I actually have five. And then they're like, "Wow, it's not so bad to have one." Yeah. And you can talk to people because they know that you're human as well. Yeah, that they're not alone. You still don't like needles, though, do you? No, I do not like needles. But <laughs> yeah. without them, I would not be here. Well, yes. So yeah. I. I have the ones because they're necessary. Yeah, it's a good way to be. Well, Sarah, thanks so much for stopping by and uh, for visiting us here in Australia. We've enjoyed hanging out with you, but uh, for bringing your story to us as well of how you uh, were set free by God from that burden of shyness and timidity, and now you're able to just get out there and live your life and glorify Him each day. So thanks for sharing your story. Thank you very much, Shelley. It's been good. Well, it was great to hear how Sarah Scullin was set free of her extreme shyness and was able to go on to become a nurse and help many people. Also, how she's been able to cope with living with type 1 diabetes. It's good to know that no matter how big or small the challenges we face are, we can always cast our burdens unto Jesus because he cares for us. And how about you? Is there some type of challenge that you face in your life, either big or small, that you've been struggling to overcome? If you would like somebody to pray with and bring your burdens to the Lord, our prayer line is 1-800-PRAY-FOR-ME. That's 1-800-772-936. We'd love to pray for you on 1-800-772-936. Well, thanks for joining us for Sarah Scohan's story. 
I'm Jimmy Colfax, encouraging you to share your story with someone today. Next time on The Story. I cannot recall much of the time in prison, but after the war, my father told me that apparently I screamed that loud when they took my baby sister away that he said that scream was in his head all the time when he was in the different concentration camps and he never forgot that. You read about the Holocaust in history books and see documentaries and movies on TV but rarely do you get a chance to talk with someone firsthand who experienced it. Well, that's exactly what we'll be doing as Holocaust survivor Nettie will share her story. We'll hear part one of a three-part series next time. The Story. Just another way vision is connecting faith to life. This program is a production of Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, see vision.org.au.